Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, I'm talking with Bob Redding, ASA's Washington representative for the Taking the Hill Legislative Report. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Tony. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. We're uh, getting ready for the holidays like everybody else. But I wanted to catch up with you. I know a lot's been going on in D.C. these last few months on the legislative front. And let's jump right into it. What's ASA been up to? Well, these last few months, we've continued pushing for another round of the Paycheck Protection Program and some other small business assistance. As you know, and and we've said on your show uh, multiple times this year, making sure our shops were essential services, classified as essential services, uh, making sure that we were included in any federal programs that were uh, designed to help uh, stimulus packages, economic stimulus packages, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, assuring that those programs were substantive, that they, they were meaningful. If they, we're, the federal government is going to put these kind of resources into these programs, that they work for independent auto repair shops. And then finally, assuring that uh, any final package did not, did not include the cash for clunkers program we had in the Obama administration that uh, negatively impacted a lot of our uh, mechanical shops. So we've really been focusing on that. What we're doing right now is really putting our resources into a couple of things, but number one is to make sure this latest round of stimulus, economic stimulus package gets to the finish line before the holidays. That's the goal. If not, early in the first quarter of 21. We're getting close. Uh, A bipartisan team in the Senate has released their package of the uh, proposed compromise uh, economic stimulus package. The summary of that is on our uh, on our uh, social media sites. And that package includes a a new paycheck protection program for small businesses. So we're very pleased with that. I think that'll continue to change. It has about $300 billion in it in new money. And uh, we're hopeful that the program will become a little more inclusive. Almost all of our shops will be included, if not all, but uh, we would like some of the variables in it to, uh, to change somewhat. So that's where we are to date. What they're hoping to do, uh, the Congress, is to come up with an agreement and attach it to the fiscal year 21 appropriations legislation that will have to pass by December 18th. Mm. December 11th is the finish line. They've now, the House has voted to extend that to the 18th. The Senate will do do the same. But so by December 18th, we'll know one way or another if we're going to knock out uh, a new Paycheck Protection Program before the holidays. If not, I feel confident they'll come back and do it uh, in the first quarter. Congress is still in session for this, right? What are the chances of them staying in session to, to uh, get something done before the holidays? I think they're pretty good to stay in session. Uh, we'll know by the 18th if there's a deal. I think there's also a pretty safe bet that they will go home by the 18th. They like the holidays with their families too, so uh, I think they'll be packing it up by December the 18th, if not before. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. We're still encouraging our members to reach out to their representatives to encourage them to do a bill, right? Yes. 
And I will tell you, they can go to our Taking the Hill site, send a letter to their congressmen and senators and uh, telling them, let's get it done. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to wrap this up. I, I will tell you, Tony, two things I think are really important. Shops have been hurting. Uh, the pandemic took its toll early on shops, even though uh, many are seeing their businesses start to come back. Mm -hmm. The economic toll was severe for many of these shops. We have never seen the volume of grassroots shop contacts to Capitol Hill on two issues uh, that we've seen in the last few months. Number one, get another stimulus package done, including the PPP program as quickly as possible. And number two, keep the cash for clunkers bill out of any stimulus package, mm. that that would hurt us, not help us. We've been having lots of conversations about some of the technology issues that have been going on. Vehicle data access has always been a big, big point. Where are we on vehicle data access right now? In some of our uh, go-to meetings, webinars, et cetera, podcasts, we've talked some about the Massachusetts Right Repair Ballot Initiative. It's now law in Massachusetts. The Alliance of Automobile uh, Innovators, which are the OEs, mm -hmm. OEs, the traditional OEs plus, that group has expanded, has filed a complaint in federal court, and we're waiting on the outcome of that. Uh, but there's been some other activity here. The judge there asked a lot of questions uh, about the national and the impact and all these kinds of things. But uh, based off that discussion, important for this discussion, is that there has been some federal activity of late on vehicle data access. The Alliance, uh, the OE sent a letter to U.S. House Energy and Commerce Committee asking the Congress to, to uh, put a moratorium multi-year moratorium on the Massachusetts right to repair or any state initiative dealing with vehicle data access. We oppose that, of course, and uh, there will be no uh, moratorium uh, from the Congress before they go home or adjourn for the year. Secondly, we have a U.S. Senate Republican letter from uh, Commerce Committee members to U.S. Department of Transportation to NHTSA asking about vehicle safety and vehicle data access. That letter went to NHTSA. We haven't seen a response from that, but it's going to be critically important. And I'm gonna talk about this in a second with a change of administrations. Mm -hmm. What about the changes of policy at DOT? Next, it, it's important to note, the US Senate uh, Transportation Appropriations Subcommittee has included telematics language in their fiscal year 21 appropriations bill. Now, this report language on telematics encourages NHTSA to work with independent repair shops who are stakeholders here, the, the biggest stakeholder, in working out how to get access to data. Now, that language is in the uh, a report for the Transportation Appropriations Fiscal Year 21. That, too, is destined to pass or become law by December 18th. That's the deadline. The formal deadline now is December 11th, but they are extending that until December 18th. So we'll see if that language holds and also see how NHTSA will respond in a new administration. As you know, in uh, the last Congress, ASA was a leader in trying to get NHTSA and the Federal Trade Commission to uh, form a stakeholder group, bring all the parties in over a period of time, and work this out on vehicle data access and cybersecurity with the OE. No support from NHTSA. Mm. 
that were not in the House bill. We did get in the Senate bill that passed the Senate Commerce Committee that mandated the stakeholder group at NHTSA, but the bill never got to the Senate floor, so it died. That was attached to autonomous vehicle uh, legislation. So those are some items in play now that we will see some activity on by December 18th. And what are the chances of, of you know, something dramatic happening in the fair, fairly near future? Is this something we're going to be talking about well into 2021, do you think? Yes. I think uh, you've got the court case in Massachusetts. W- what ends up happening there? We're going to see uh, multiple vehicle data access bills in the Congress. The House will introduce in the 117th Congress. So in the first or second quarter, you're going to see bills introduced. I feel certain that something similar to the Massachusetts right to repair. I know the U.S. Vehicle Data Access and Cybersecurity Group that we're members of and been active members of for a long time, planning for activity in this area in the 117th Congress, where that ends up. I don't know at this time, but you're going to see a lot of activity on this, and you're going to have individual members coming up with their own versions of privacy and data access and autonomous vehicle legislation. So there's going to be a lot of activity on this. Any state issues to watch that we should be aware of? Yes, we continue to get attacks in multiple states that have very strong vehicle safety inspection programs, which is tragic. Yeah. Particularly uh, members that are uh, view these as taxes only, as uh, a burden on consumers, and don't understand the safety side. And uh, it's, it's a great soundbite to jump in front of a camera or put something on the internet that says, or social media, that these programs are just attacks. They don't really save lives, prevent inj- injuries, or, or damage to property without the facts. And we've had some great studies come forward out of uh, PennDOT in Pennsylvania, also out of the University of Texas that uh, provided to the uh, Texas state legislature. All of these were positive. I know Carnegie Mellon continues to produce work that is uh, spot on relative to vehicle safety. So it's tragic that uninformed parties in states continue to attack these programs. We got about 15 of them now. We need 50. And we'll see in this next Congress. The only way we get there is probably going to be either a federal mandate or some type of federal incentive to encourage these programs in states. We know consumers want them. We know shops want them. Mm -hmm. We got to get them done. And there are legislative uh, hurdles to getting it done at the state level. And one more thing here with autonomous vehicles, with the rideshare programs, and you know, at our uh, last telematics and technology forum we had in Detroit, where we had not just rideshare programs, but the, the Airbnb version of, of vehicle use participate in, uh, in that program at Euro, that the question has to be, all right, we've got all these programs. Who's responsible for the vehicle? Yeah. Who's responsible for the, uh, the AVs that are out there and taking care of them? You're getting in a car. Has it been taken care of? What standard does that vehicle make, uh, meet? Uh, I mean, you've got food safety standards. You have, as you mentioned, air rail standards on safety. Once the vehicle is on the road, once it's out of the dealer showroom, who's responsible? If, if, there's, if the owner is a corporate owner, corporate fleet, who's really responsible? Who's responsible if you're running a rideshare program and you frankly are doing it because you really need the money, mm-hmm. uh, you're short of money, you're not taking care of that vehicle. And you know this, you get in a certain rideshare cars and, or, or taxis in, in certain cities with no inspection program, Every light on the dashboard's on, mm-hmm. okay? Every red light, it's glowing. I've been in uh, some taxis in some communities where you could literally 
see the road from the floorboard or the door wouldn't close all the way. I mean, it's can't get to the seat belts. The need for some sort of some sort of safety inspection, uh, I think, is actually growing given the fact that we have a lot of automation in the vehicles already before we even get to autonomous vehicles. And knowing that this stuff is working properly uh, is is critical. Um, so some sort of, you know, ongoing inspection, health check, something, you know, I would think would be would be obvious. But uh, we'll have to see where that one goes as well. I had two more state issues I wanted to bring up on uh, OE repair procedures. We are all over it. Uh, on the collision side, the collision industry wants this, period. And it continues to be battled by some insurance companies, some recyclers, and some uh, aftermarket parts distributors. And uh, this is something that just, the industry should have already done this, mm-hmm. but they can't get over these industry hurdles. We've had very little success with it. ASA's uh, former chairman, Daryl Amberson, who is now C- Collision Industry Conference's uh, chairman, full chairman, headed up a program recently, a virtual program at the Collision Industry Conference on this very issue. Why do we continue to fail on getting OE repair procedures across the finish line? And this is really important. This is a big issue. It certainly is another safety issue. And it's something that just, uh, frankly, consumers should be more involved in and it it should not be taken off the table. A third item, and I'm going to tie in a little bit into this. uh, And I know you have a real interest in electric vehicles, Mm -hmm. the emissions issue at the state level. ASA is starting in January a new, what we call emissions tracker. We're going to see more and more Mm -hmm. activity in this new uh, Biden administration on air quality. Uh, One of the candidates for the US EPA administrator is Mary Nichols from uh, CARB uh, chair Mm -hmm. in California. Uh, Mary was associate administrator for air quality during the Clinton administration. If she's chosen or others selected, uh, you're going to see uh, more assertive action with regard to air quality. And uh, ASA wants to make sure that we're providing to our shops and states relative to any local, state, or federal changes uh, relative to uh, vehicles and air quality. And I I think that'll be important uh, for people to watch. And we will uh, uh, say more about that in early January. Well, I, I have to ask this question, uh, the election impact. W- what do you anticipate the new 117th Congress uh, and a new administration will do? Any, any thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, well, in the House, uh, we're still, uh, still Democratic. We had 233 Dems, 197 Republicans, five vacancies in the last Congress. It's tightened up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, about uh, nine-seat Republican pickup. So we're at 222 Dems, 208 Republicans, and a few outstanding races. The House will stay Democratic. It does impact the ratios of new members and members moving around on committees. Our committees of uh, jurisdiction like Energy and Commerce, Judiciary, Small Business, Ways and Means, Financial Services, all those committees are waiting, not necessarily on uh, chair and ranking member appointments. Those have occurred. Who's going to chair the committee and who's going to be ranking on the committee Republican? But we're still waiting for who all is going to be on these committees that uh, as far as new members and some moving around. So that hadn't occurred yet. In the Senate, everything's all about the Georgia races. January 5th, we will uh, see who is, uh, uh, if the Senate stays Republican uh, or flips to the Democrats. If two seats, if both the Senate seats in Georgia go uh, Democrat, the Senate flips 50-50. It's mm-hmm. 52-48 right now. So 50-50, the Vice President-elect Harris would be the deciding factor. 
before they can determine who's going to chair what, who's going to be ranking member of what committee, and what are the ratios of the committees, like how many Democrats to how many Republicans, the Georgia seats have to, to finish. So sometime in early January, we'll see all that shake out. On the new administration, we're seeing the appointments uh, happen. We're still waiting on USDOT, US EPA, small business, but all of that will shake out in the coming days. We'll have to wait to see who's sworn in, confirmed uh, by inauguration day. They will try to get uh, as many as possible, possible cabinet uh, members uh, appointed by then. But there will be a, a, a number of changes if the Senate flips. If it doesn't flip, not so much. I want to point something out, though. This is really important. Minority leader Chuck Schumer of New York made the statement last year that if the Senate, if he's majority leader, if the Senate flips, uh, one of his top priorities will be moving the U.S. vehicle fleet to an all-electric vehicle fleet. And uh, that would include incentives for consumers. That would include also uh, infrastructure, charging infrastructure and this sort of thing. So it will be a major difference. It could be a major difference on and other items, uh, emissions, how far it goes in changing with the administration policy if the Senate flips, vehicle safety, and also, I, I, I wouldn't want to predict how, but also with regard to privacy, cybersecurity, and vehicle data access. Tony, you were part of this. ASA worked very hard in Dodd-Frank to establish a federal insurance office. We led the effort on that. Yes. It was uh, quite controversial at the time. Insurance companies did not want the federal insurance office at the U.S. Department of Treasury. It did make it across the finish line. It did become law. They do exist. But honestly, for our industry sector, they haven't done much. They've issued some reports and typically not in our industry sector. We've met with them numerous times. Former collision ops chair, Scott Benavides of New Mexico. This was a priority for him. He's now on ASA's board and executive committee. Uh, has worked very hard on that issue and trying to get the uh, Federal Insurance Office more active. We may see that in a new Biden administration. We don't know yet, but uh, hopefully we'll see more activity there. We also may see some more activity in most favored nation clauses. We still have some insurers that require most favored nation clauses. And the Obama administration had interest in uh, eliminating many of these MFN clauses and were active in the healthcare space, particularly in Michigan, and making sure they went away. So we'll see what happens with that. Well, it sounds like 2021 is going to be shaving up to be another busy year. Any final words before I let you go? Uh, uh, By the way, all the best for the holidays and everything. I hope all is well on your end. Same to you, Tony. And uh, I I would like to say it's really important for independent repair shops to have a voice at the state and the federal level. That is really, really important amongst all the other issues. ASA is the largest and oldest independent auto repair association in the U.S. For many years, that's been the case. We need all shops to step up and join. Many non-members have benefited from a lot of the work we've done here in encouraging programs that affect shops every day. And this year is is just one example of that with uh, the small business programs that have come forward like the PPP and other things. And making sure that shops... We're labeled local, state, federal levels as essential services. We need more and more shops to sign up and join and join our team. Thank you and have a happy holiday. You too, Bob. It's always great to talk with you. We'll look forward to the, uh, the next report sometime in 2021. 
We've been talking with Bob Redding, ASA's Washington representative, with our Taking the Hill update on legislative activity. Bob, again, thanks for the time today and all the best for the holidays. Thank you, Tony. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.